I don't think, and I say this to you a lot, but I'm going to keep saying it until I think you agree with me. I don't think we fully understand how blessed we are to be able to worship in such a way um, that we have been able to worship so far this morning. Um, about four churches down by Ada got together last night. They got their youth groups together and did a little bit of like, like a miniature D now. And for some reason they asked me to come down and, and speak at this youth event last night. So we were down there and uh, spoke a couple of different times on some different subjects. But one of the conversations got on the, the uh, subject of music. And of course right now we have such a wide diversity of music that is being labeled as Christian music. And so there were a certain number of teenagers and young people in the, the, uh, in the uh, place that, you know, of course, they're asking me about rap, and they're asking me about hip-hop, and they're asking me about heavy metal, and they're asking me about this and about that. And, and one of them just flat asked me, well, do you think rap is okay? And I flat looked at him and said no. And, of course, everybody's like, ah, ah. And I just said, you know, it just comes down to this. Who was getting the glory? So it doesn't matter what kind of music you're listening to. I, I have my preference of genre. You probably have your preference of genre of music. The question is, is whatever music we are listening to, who is good in the glory and the music? And, and that wasn't any intention of what I was going to do with this morning, but it made me think about it as we're, as, as we're singing. Who is getting the glory with our music? And this morning I felt like, you know, God was getting the glory with our music. And so I invite you, anytime we gather on a Sunday morning when we are singing, to ask yourself the question, who's getting the glory? I mean, Greg, you hit it right on the head in the number of young people that are in this room. And all these young people are watching us adults to say, who is getting the glory with their worship? And who is getting the glory with their singing? And that's a tangent I didn't really mean to get off on. But I just it makes me think about that so much when it comes to our music. Um, there's a lot of music out there that even if it has the label of Christian doesn't mean that God is getting the glory through the music. And so we need to ask ourselves a question, regardless of what we're listening to, who is getting the glory? But I appreciate you, Greg, and for those that lead with him um, and, and lead us in that time of worship and you, man, for taking up the offering. I hope you have a Bible with you or a Bible on your phone. And we'll take that or a Bible with you. There's always Bibles in the back. First Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. So if you will join me in First Peter chapter chapter 1. Also, when you came in, at either door, there's always a bulletin with information about what's going on in the life of the church. But also, on the back of that, there's always a set of notes, and kind of a fill-in-the-blank set of notes that I would encourage you to pick up, something that you can follow along. And if you're one of my children, you get a dollar for every time you fill out the bulletin, and you bring it to me. You get a dollar. I don't give you an allowance. So, if you just say, well, I want to be a child for the day, we'll talk, and we'll have that conversation. I'll, I'll get you some chores, and you can bring me a bulletin, and we'll, we'll have a nice little exchange. But on the back of that, on the back of that, bulletin. There'll be some notes that we're working through. We have been walking through this letter of 1 Peter in the last several weeks and looking at what Peter has to say to the other church. Right now, whether we realize it or not, there is a lot of conflict and there's a lot of upheaval in the world today and there's a lot of dis- disputing ideas and ideologies that are out there. Peter is writing to a church that was plagued with heresy. They were plagued with distractions. They were plagued with people pulling them in a thousand different directions. You had a certain number of new believers that are sitting there and Peter is wanting to write to them to remind them of their Christian walk, their Christian testimony, and also of the testimony and the witness of the church as a corporate body. And so he's writing them about how to live in a pagan world 
faithfully before God. And I think in so many ways that is where we are still at today. We are still trying to figure out how do we live faithfully before God both individually and together. How do we live faithfully before God in the midst of a pagan world? And you may say, well, pagan's a little bit of a strong word. It's not a strong word when you think about pagan as just those people that worship idols. And there is a lot of idolatry, people worshiping idols, whether it is a sport, whether it is a celebrity, whether it is green paper or whatever. There's a lot of people that are worshiping a lot of false gods out there. And we're in the midst of pagan worship. So what does it look like to live faithfully before God in the midst of a pagan culture? So that's what Peter's writing about. So we get down here to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. And Peter starts off in this second distinction, if you will. If you think back to where we were at last week, looking there at verse 13 down through verse 21, Peter is going to talk about these two distinctions that should mark the Christian. It should mark the church. He talked about last week that the world should know us as being faithful to God by our holiness. And then this morning he's going to talk about another distinction, a second distinction. Now it's not just these two, but these are the two that Peter brings out. But the second distinction that they should know us by is by our love. In other words, he is saying that you should have a love, a character, a type of love about you that sets you apart as being different than all of the people around you. And so that's why I put there at the top of your notes a holy love. If you think about last week, we were talking about the idea of holiness. It means to be set apart. means to be different. So I believe what Peter is going to tell us this morning is there should be something different about our love. There's been lots and lots and lots of songs written on the subject of love. Let me get one stuck in your head for the rest of the day. 1984. On the heels of a big breakup with Ike Turner, Tina Turner released a song that pretty much revived her musical career. And the name of the song is What's Love Got to Do With It? Got to do with it. And if you remember, and I know some of you are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. The hair, the outfit, the whole thing. But it was a huge song. And in that song, she talked about on the heels of a breakup, what does love got to do with it? But a secondary emotion. And she goes on about what is the need for love in this world. And it got people's attention and got singing the song and the jingle and the jangle. Fast forward to 1995. The king himself, George Strait, releases a song. Check yes or no. And in the song, do you love me? Do you want to be my friend? If you do, well then don't be afraid to take me by the hand. And it goes on and on and on. It doesn't matter what genre. It doesn't matter what generation. It doesn't matter what culture. We as a people are continually asking the question, what is love? What does love look like? How is love expressed? What is right love versus wrong love? Love is a huge question in the world today. And it's not just a question of recent days. It's a question since time began. So Peter is going to come in and he's going to teach us. Verse 22 down through verse 25. He's going to teach us what this love looks like. And he's going to talk about the love that we are to have. Not solely for God. But the love that we are to have to one another. And we can't fully exhaust this subject of love this morning. But I do want to hopefully give you a couple of principles to think about. When you think about your love on a regular basis. Is your love different than the world's love? And is the love that you are demonstrating by your faithfulness to God 
God different than the world's love with one another. So Peter is going to talk about, and I'm just going to differentiate or bring forward to the forefront this morning these principles of how it is that we love. So he starts off there in verse 22 talking about the preparation of love. The preparation of love. In verse 22, if you follow along in your copy of God's Word, this is what he says. He says, he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all the flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is This word is the good news that was preached to you. Notice if you look back up there to the first part of verse 22, he talks about this preparation of love. Notice how he frames it as how it is that we come to know what love is and to know how we practice love. He says there in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience. What he wants to remind the reader, he wants to remind the Christian, he wants to remind us is this concept of love, it's not something that we come up with, it's not something that we crafted, it was something that we received through obedience to God. It's something that we received by our faithfulness to God. It's something that we understand more of what love is every day by us growing in God's love for us. This this love, this preparation love, if we are going to love others truly, if we're going to love others correctly, it begins with us being obedient to God. We have to know what this love looks like and not just that it's received through obedience, but it's informed by truth. He says there, by your obedience to the truth. He wants to make sure and let them know that there are a lot of conflicting pictures out there today of what love is. Love is not money. Love is not romance. Love is not emotion. Love is not a feeling. First and foremost, love is from God. Secondly, when we think about on the horizontal plane, we realize for many times love is a choice. That love is a decision. Now I realize there's all kinds of emotions, there's all kinds of feelings that get caught up in that. But the kind of love that Peter is talking about that we are to have as a church for the world around us and for the people within us, he's talking about this love that is informed by the truth of God's word. There are a lot of lies out there saying a lot of different things. We have a three-year-old in our home. And he is such a joy to be around when he's happy. when he's not happy he gets cranky and he said things to you like I don't like you anymore and you're not my pal you know it doesn't matter what you feel I'm still your father and I am still in charge of disciplining you and I still have the power to beat you behind but he his whole world is framed with I will love you I will show affection to you as long as I get what I want from you as long as you are making me happy therefore I will be happy with you and that is what the world in a greater picture that is what the world is practicing today I will love you as long as you benefit me I will love you as long as I get what I want I will love you as long as you make me happy but the truth of God's word says that God loves us regardless of who we are and what we have done 
God loves us because he created us. God loves us so much that he knew we were sinners. He knew we were prone to rebel against him. And yet he still sent his son to die for us. That is God's love for me. God's love for me is not dependent upon my my performance. God's love for me is not dependent upon my response to God. God's love for me is because God loves me. And sometimes we get this mixed up. And so Peter wants to remind us that this love that we are to have for one another is being formed by God's love for us. And so our love for one another is not temporal. It is not not fictional, not fictitious. Fickle. Fickle. It's not fickle. It's not meant to be, well, what they said to me or what I have said to them. You know how many times you hear people in the church say, well, somebody hurt my feelings. Can we just talk for a moment? Your feelings are not the most important thing in this church. My feelings are the most important thing in this church. And I don't ever want your feelings to be hurt. But if your and my feelings are hurt, that should not deter us from the mission that God has given us. Get your big boy pants on. Get your big girl pants on. Plug in. Move on. Obey scripture. Be long-suffering. Quick to forgive. Patient. And let's keep going. So he talks about this idea of love. He's saying, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. He says there should be a preparation. If we are to go out and we are to love the world and we're to love one another in the way that God has called us to, then it's going to have to be a time of preparation. We're going to have to know, what does this love look like? How are we going to exhibit this love? How are we going to demonstrate this love? And he says, so... As you follow Christ, as you read the scripture, as you seek wisdom and discernment from God's word, you know how you are to love. So he talks about the preparation. And he talks about the preparation right there at the last part of verse 22 when he says, for a sincere brotherly love. He wants them to know that this love is not to be selfishly motivated. This love is to be sincerely motivated. You have people today that will love you to try to get you to do what they want you to do. I will love you so that you will compromise with me. If you loved me, you would do this. If you loved me, you'd go along with this. Well, you're supposed to love me like a Christian, so that means you're supposed to accommodate my sin. Or that means that you're supposed to give me a pass in something that I'm doing wrong. There are all these questions that Peter is coming in and saying, you are going to be bombarded by so many distractions. And if you let your understanding of your love for them be defined by them and not defined by God then you're not going to love the way that God has called us to love. So he talks about the preparation in verse 22. He also talks about the purpose of love. He talks about the purpose of love. If you go on there in that verse in 22, he says to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So the purpose of us knowing what this love looks like and being prepared to give this love as God has given it to us is so that we can love one another. But then there's an interesting word that so many times we can miss. It says love one another earnestly. Some of your other translations may have a different word there instead of earnestly. It may be a a different phrase. The idea of the word earnestly is to love constantly, to love continually, to love ongoing. In other words, what he's saying is that we are to love one another, and I just put this word in there, with duration. It doesn't matter how long it is, you are going to love one another until 
God tells you to stop loving one another. You are going to continue to love one another with a duration. And a duration that will be done with integrity. Which means it has the right motive. It means it has the right reasons why you are doing what you are doing. So that's why he says love earnestly. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So why should you study scripture? Why should you know scripture? Why should you be overwhelmed with the love of God in your life? Why? Because sometimes people are hard to love. And sometimes people don't make it easy for you to love them. In fact, some people try their best to be such a kind of person that you don't want to have anything to do with them because that way they can say, Ha! See? I knew it! I knew they were a hypocrite. I knew they weren't being faithful. I knew they weren't who they said they were due. And God keeps putting your heart, love them, love them, love them. You say, God, I'm trying, but God, they're not making it easier. God, I'm trying, but they're not helping me. God, show me. And he says that love should be an earnest love. It's the kind of love that God has for you. And that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the kind of love that God has for us that even though that you and I have tried to rebel just I think it was this morning, right Luke, this morning in our, in our Bible reading, we were reading about the prodigal son. This is yes, this is no. Okay, all right. It was, you didn't read. See, it got you. Okay, so this morning, about the prodigal son. The prodigal son gets all of his dad's stuff and takes off to the pig pen and says, Dad, I'm done with you. Does the dad stop loving his son? Because the son stopped loving the father. How many people have left the church and we've written them off? How many people have offended us and we defriended them, blacklisted them in their mind? Growing up, my parents, they loved watching the movie The Quiet Man. John Wayne, I think Maureen O'Hare in the movie there, and John Wayne's the former boxer that he's trying to woo Maureen O'Hare. Was it Maureen O'Hare? Trying to woo Maureen O'Hare, but he, he's sitting there, and her brother has this book. And in the book, he has a list of all the people he doesn't like. So he, the, the brother of the woman meets John Wayne, and, and they have a little bit of a confrontation, and he says, oh, get your book out, and write his name in the book, and then draw a line through it, because I don't like that person, I don't have anything to do with that person, that person is on my list. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that we have put in our books. Oh, and you may not say it out loud, and you may not say it, you may not say it in the hearing of other people, but there's a lot of people that we've put in that book, and we've drawn a line through it to say, they have hurt me, they have offended me, and I'm not going to have anything more to do with them. And Peter is coming in and saying, that's not why God loved you. God didn't love you so that you could withhold love for someone else. And so many times... We forget what the purpose of God's love is for us. We forget what the reason that God loved us for. Think back, and you don't have to turn there, but think back to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. And in verse 37, he makes this statement. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He is saying, this order of love is that you love God first, and then you love other people. So he says there's a purpose, not only for God's love for us, but our love for them. But then you go on in verse 23, and we get to the power. It's the power of love, because I don't know about you, but sometimes I think back and say, okay, I know that, I know that I'm supposed to love. I know that love should define us. I know that love should make us distinct. I know that. I, I've got all that, but God, how do I do it? Because God, I heard what they said. God, I saw what they did. 
God, they have offended me. God, they have hurted me, hurt me. God, they don't care. God, they are not repentant. God, they are not sorrowful. God, they are indifferent. God, how do I do that? And so he comes in, Peter comes in, he's looking at a church. He's looking at a church that is facing physical persecution. He's looking at a church that is facing hostilities of the world around him and saying, if you don't conform to us, then we will physically hurt you. So how in the world is a church to look at a world that is opposed to them and hostile to them and still yet be loving to them? So he says there in verse 23, this is why you do it. And this is how you do it. Verse 23, since you have been born again. Did you catch that? He is saying because you are now transformed. Because you are now transformed through the regeneration. You are now a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Because you have now been saved. Because you have been born again. Because you have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of all these things are true about you. Because your identity is now in Christ. Because you have been born again. You can love other people. You can't do it in the flesh. It happens to the spirit. You can't do it by yourself. It happens through God. You can't explain it apart from God in your life. So he tells them, since you have been born again, not of the perishable seed, but of the imperishable, through the abiding word of God, he reminds them that this idea of love is because of what God has done for you. We forget that, church. We forget what God has forgiven us of. We forget how much God has loved us. We forget the purpose of us being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We forget the mission that we have been called to. And thus, as we are here this morning, we are compelled by the mission that Christ has given us to go and to love other people. We forget all of this because we start trying to do life by our power. And when we try to do life by our power, then we're going to love people the way that we think they should be loved and we're not doing it the way that God has called us to. Let me think about it this way. The Holy Spirit indwells us for the purpose, one of the purposes is that it seeks to love other people. And yet the flesh inside of us is seeking to continually fight for love from other people. And so many times we are caught up in that tug of war where the spirit inside of us is saying, who can I show God's love to? But then the flesh inside of us is saying, no, I want the attention. I want the recognition. I want the credit. I want people to see me. I want people to look at me. Me, 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 me. So the spirit is seeking someone to love and the flesh is fighting for someone to love me. Do you understand that? Do you see that? That's what's happening right now rampant on social media. That's what it's all about. It's all geared for the individual to get the credit, for the individual to get the praise, for the individual to get the recognition because it's all about me, 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 me. And we are being driven and we are being put in that that pressure cooker, if you will, where that whole world around us is saying it's all about you. And the Bible says it is not first and foremost about you. It is first and foremost about God. And yet, when it comes to God's love for us and our love for other people, we act as a bit of a filter trying to say, well, we will disseminate, we will translate, we will diffuse, we will be the ones that filter that out. So yes, we receive God's love for us, 
But then we will determine who gets God's love from us. And that was never the intention of God in the beginning. So he says you have this preparation. You have this purpose of love. You have this power of love. That way that you love one another is through the way that God has loved you. So you can't sit back and say, well, I can't love that person. That is an unbiblical, heretical statement. Stop saying that. Well, there's no way that I can love them because of what they've done to me. There's no way that I could love that person because of what they said about me. There's no way that I could love them because of what they have done. We have heard that, if not have been guilty ourselves of saying that. I want to ask you, where are you getting that from in the Scripture? Because every place that I can go into the Scripture, we're reminded to forgive, to be patient. It doesn't mean that we have to allow ourselves to be in a position of abuse or be allow ourselves to be in the position of some type of injury or some type of wrongdoing. But at the same time, we are never given the permission to withhold God's love to anyone. So he says there's a power. There's a power to love. And then he goes on in verse 24 and verse 25 and he gives us this picture. So he talks about the preparation. He talks about the purpose. He talks about how it is that we then love other people. And then he reminds us of what this picture looks like. He reminds us of how this plays out in a tangible, visible way. Talks about the flesh. The flesh is like grass. The glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower, the flower falls. He says, the flowers and the flesh fade. The grass and the good intentions, they wither. All of these things have a time stamp. All of these things will one day come to an end. All these things will soon Pass by the way. But you know what remains? You know what remains? The word of the Lord. Truth and holy love remain. These things are true and these things are endless. And yet we get stuck in this rat race thinking that we're always going to get something nicer. We're always trying to get the next new thing. Mr. Apple comes out with the next iPhone and we think, man, if I could just get that iPhone, I would never need another phone ever. For 18 months. And then Mr. Apple comes out with a new iPhone that you think, I've got to have that iPhone. This iPhone just isn't sufficient anymore. Now I've got to have that iPhone. And so then you find a way to justify upgrading and buying another iPhone. Can you imagine going back 60 years and looking at someone and saying, you know what, 60 years from now, you're going to pay over $1,000 for a little, 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 little device that sits in your pocket that consumes all your attention. Imagine that. Imagine trying to justify why we do that. And yet, how many people eat like this? How many people drive like this? How many people are sitting there around family and friends and they're always looking down? They're they're, they're starting to have this idea that all we do is spend time. It's that idea that all of these things have a time stamp, that all of these things will one day fade. And so he reminds them that church, when it comes to your demonstration, when it comes to your testimony, when it comes to what people see in you, let them not see the love that is characterized by the world. Let them see the love that is characterized by Christ. Not a love that is based upon emotions or feelings or opinions or pleasures because those will not last. Let your love be based upon the truthfulness of God's word. So what does that mean, Spence? 
So what does that mean about how we love? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 and in verse 4 says it like this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but enjoys, rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul makes it very clear that there is a definition of love. There is a standard of love. Has anybody, has anybody heard of the National Institute of Standards and Technology? Anybody? Located up there in Gaithersburg, I'm probably mispronouncing Gaithersburg, Maryland. This is the center in for the United States. Now, there's ones for other nations across the world. This is the center in the United States where they have the defined measurements. Because you ever have you ever wondered about who knows how long an inch is? Well, we had all assume an inch is an inch, right? But who defines what is the measurement of an inch? Who is to say that this is an inch versus that being an inch versus this being an inch? And so someone somewhere has to have the standard. Somewhere, someone has to have it and say, this is an ounce, this is a pound, this is an inch, this is a foot, this is a certain measurement. And so at this institute, among many other things, they have in their collection measurements. And so if the whole world was to burn down and... All of our tape measures were to be burnt and to be lost. And we were to say, how do we know what an inch is? We were able to go back to this Institute of Standards and Technology. And there, in their collection, we could go back and say, this is an inch. And we were able to rebuild the whole construction industry based upon that measure. So, in the United States, we have a collection where we hold these standards as a baseline for us to be able to refer back to. I think that's what Peter is telling the church to be. We are to be that type of repository for the world. Because the world has all these ideas about what love is and what love looks like. And how love is applied and how love is defined and how love is practiced and how love is presented. The world has all these ideas and Peter comes back and says, if people are going to see the love of God, let them see the love of God in the church. And the church therefore is to be a living representation of the standard of God's love. That's why he says in the last verse 25, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. He wants them to understand that this picture of love, the reason why people know that God loves them is the way that the church loves them. The reason why they know that God is love because the church is love. The reason why they know that God's love for them is unending and it is never fading is because these people in the church's love for them is unending and never fading. They understand God's love because of our love for them. And it's what sets us apart what sets us apart from the pagan worship around us. Because our worship for one another and our worship, our, our, our love for one another and our love for this world is not self-motivated. But it's our faithfulness to God. 
so he brings in these pictures of what the church is to be when it comes to love. So then, so then how do we practically apply this? You get down there towards the end of the notes. How do we practically apply this? How, how, do we, how do we put this in practice in our daily lives? He's talking about this love. And I realize a lot of us are going to go, well, so we're supposed to love each other. Okay, that, that's fine. I just, I just encourage you to think about this. How many times have we responded in an unloving way? How many times have I responded in an unloving way? Driving back from that youth event just last night, I've confessed to you before my problems with ignorant motorists. And I've explained to you before that I think that certain people should have to pass the written driving test every day because they forget it every single day. And coming back just last night, Satan has them lined up. <laughs> Northbound 177. I mean, I think all of them from the entire state, boom, they all converged. And I'm sitting there going, bless your heart, get off the road. Bless your heart, get off the road. I can only imagine what Shelly has to deal with every single day on her mail route. All the different individuals that come around. I, I saw her just, I don't want to embarrass her, but I saw her the other day and I was in, the, I was in a bucket truck and I stopped there because I had a question to ask her and I stopped and I got out and I could see the look in her face like, what does this person want? What is this person doing? And then she saw the striped overalls and the plaid shirt and she's like, okay, there's only one person that dresses like that so we're good. We're okay. But it's the idea, okay? It's the idea that all the time in your life you are faced with moments that even if it's just inside your head, you don't want to say loving things. But church, how is the world going to know the love of God if they don't see it from us? So how do we apply this practically? <coughs> Number one, love is rooted in truth. Love is rooted in truth. Love is not rooted in compromise. Love is not rooted in popular opinion. Love is not rooted in what people want. Love is rooted in the truth of God's word. There are going to come times that love comes out in the way of saying what is truth, not what is appealing, not what is desirable. Love is rooted in truth. Second thing, love is a heart issue. If you're like me and you struggle with some people and there's some things that you struggle with, some moments in life... Some things that just set you off, some of your hot buttons. It's a hard issue. It's a hard issue for me. It's a hard issue. I'm driving down the road and I get impatient, and that's a hard issue. Oh, yes, they could drive better. They could be more informed. They could not annoy me. Oh, yeah, all that stuff is there. But you know what? They do not control my response, they do not control my heart. They do not control me. They can be as ignorant and as obstinate as they want. I still control my response. And if I have a sick heart, if I have a discouraged heart, distracted heart, if I have the heart that is not focused on God, then I won't respond the way I should. And there are some people that we struggle with on an individual basis to love them. And it's not because of them primarily as much as because of us. Love is a hard issue. But let me remind you, church. Let me remind you, brother and sister in Christ. Let me remind you, believer. Love isn't a choice for the believer. You cannot find me. And if you can, please come and show it to me and I will publicly Repent. You cannot find where it says that as a Christian, we have the choice whether to love or not. Scripture is clear. We are to love one another because God loves us. 
So then it brings us just a moment of reflection. How's your love? How's our love? It starts with your love for God. If you don't love God the way that you should, then you won't love others the way that you should. And if you're not loving others the way you should, then you really can't tell me you're loving God the way you should. Because our love for God will be reflective of our love for one another, and our love for one another will be reflective of our love for God. And if we want to try to reach this community with the love of Jesus Christ, we first have to practice the love of Jesus Christ before we try to reach the community. And when we think about trying to reach the community with the love of Jesus Christ, we need to ask ourselves a question. What kind of love are we trying to reach them with? Are we trying to reach them with a love of entertainment? Are we trying to reach them with a love of compromise and capitulation? Or are we trying to reach them with the love of God? What kind of love are we showing today? You bow your heads with me.